Hey, welcome to part seven here, Confession and Absolution. We're still talking about God's grace and the ways that he delivers that grace to us. And so today we're going to talk about uh, the, the blessing, the gift that God gives to us and being able to forgive each other our sins uh, and how, uh, again, we don't officially call this uh, one of the sacraments, uh, but it's close. It's something instituted by Jesus, and it's something that gives us forgiveness of sins, another assurance of how much God loves us and forgives us. All right, so foundational work. Before we jump into that, uh, let's talk about the office of the keys. And If you've got the handout on your screen, or you printed it out maybe, uh, we're on page 29, lesson 22, the office of the keys. And again, just to introduce this, we're going to look at uh, Luther's small catechism. Uh, and he writes, what is the office of the keys? I'm glad he asked that question. That's exactly what I wanted to teach about today. Uh, the office of the keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of repentant sinners, but to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they do not repent. Where is this written? That's a good question. And depending on what your church background is, that might be a big question for you right now. Uh, the answer is, this is what St. John, the evangelist, writes in chapter 20. Uh, the Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And what do you believe according to these words? I believe that when the called minister of Christ deals with us by his divine command, in particular when they exclude openly unrepentant sinners from the Christian congregation and absolve, that means to forgive, those who repent of their sins and want to do better, this is just as valid and certain even in heaven as if Christ our dear Lord dealt with us himself. So, uh, in John chapter 20, verse 1 is the resurrection. Jesus rises from the dead. So, mission accomplished, right? All of the sins have been paid for. Uh, death has been defeated uh, for those who believe in Jesus. And Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. This is gospel. This is a wonderful gift that God has given to us. And again, we take him at his word. Uh, the next slide says, what is the office of the keys? And again, in Matthew 16, Jesus says the same thing. Uh, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And uh, Jesus is, again, and just like in John 20, uh, he's speaking to all the disciples, and it is a gift given to the church. And I know one of the things that uh, gets uh, maybe confusing, uh, First time you come to our church, maybe from another background, and you hear a pastor say at the beginning, I forgive you all your sins. Well, it's not me personally. It's not Mark McCrory uh, forgiving your sins. 
right? I am standing on the promises of Jesus in John chapter 20, when he said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them in heaven. And I like to think about it uh, this way. It is a comfort to hear the words, I forgive you. It's the first person, the second person, present tense. That's the clearest gospel message that there is. Now we can talk third person, past tense, like Jesus died for you. And it's like, okay, that's good. Glad to know that, that's helpful. Uh, even uh, third person present tense, Jesus loves you. Uh, but what is so powerful and so impactful about this, uh, I call it absolution here, that, that Jesus wants us to share with each other is that we hear the words present tense, I forgive you. And uh, when I say that, or when you say that to someone else, uh, you're quoting Jesus. You're speaking Jesus's words to the other person. And you get to hear them in time, in real time, in the present time, uh, that I am forgiven. He has forgiven me. It's, it's an amazing gift. Uh, that's the emphasis. I know other churches, denominations, again, not gonna bash anybody today, um, use those words, use this office of the keys as kind of a power thing. It's given to the maybe the hierarchy of the church and uh, they are the ones who are actually granting this forgiveness. No, 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 no. Uh, this is a gift, of, again, not law-oriented, uh, gospel-oriented. Uh, this is a gift that Jesus has given to the church at large and uh, we can all share these words with each other. As a, as a matter of fact, I would highly recommend uh, that you use that phrase at home. You use those words at home. Uh, I try to do this in my own family. If uh, my son uh, breaks a window with a baseball, hypothetically, uh, and comes in and says, Dad, I am so sorry. Okay, it's tempting to say, well, well once you're not mad anymore, <laughs> it's tempting to say, oh, don't worry about it. Oh, it's okay. I, you know, I did things when I was a kid. Oh, here, help me clean it up and, and we'll uh, put it behind us. Uh, when someone comes to you and says, I'm sorry, they recognize that they hurt you. Even if it was an accident, uh, they still feel bad about it. And so to dismiss that feeling, that guilt, uh, you know, or the, the conscience, their guilt, uh, to sweep it under the rug, or that's no big deal, it's fine, it's okay. No, listen, Jesus has given us healing words. So my son comes up, Dad, I'm so sorry, I, I broke the windows in an accident. I can say, son, I forgive you. It's not, you know, uh, don't worry about it. It's I forgive you. Hey, son, uh, Jesus has forgiven me of so many things in my life. It is a joy for me to share that forgiveness with you and know that your, your sins are washed away. Your slate is, is white clean. Amen. All right, uh, the next two blanks. The office of the keys is the authority to remit sins and to retain sins. Now, let's, we talked about forgiveness a lot. Real quickly, let's talk about this idea of retaining sins. Uh, when Jesus said, you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Uh, this is kind of the step towards, maybe you've heard the term excommunication. 
uh, communion of the saints, right? The church and ex means out of. So to kick somebody out of the church, essentially. And that's pretty much non-existent in our world today. Probably because there are so many churches and denominations and you could kick somebody out of one church and just literally walk across the street into another church. Um, so maybe it doesn't have that same effect. But anyway, here's what I want everybody to understand about excommunication, that retaining sins. It's not about the sin that somebody does. It's not like there's a certain threshold, like you do something so bad, you're gonna get kicked out of the church. Now you're not forgiven, you, you gotta get out of here. That's not what it's about. What it, it is all about is someone who is unrepentant, someone who's not sorry for what they've done, someone who doesn't wanna change. The church would, again, in, in history, use this authority, this office of the keys, to say, uh, because you are not repenting, you're not sorry for your sins, you're not forgiven. And if you're not forgiven, you're not holy, you're not a part of our church, the church, you're not a part of Jesus's family, when you're not sorry for your sins. You're unworthy in that sense. Right, going back to last lesson on communion. Uh, and the whole purpose of that is not to send somebody to hell, not to hurt them, uh, kick them out of the church, make them feel bad. The purpose of that is, is to say, hey, wake up, this is serious. You need to get right with God. You need to come back. You need to repent, say, Lord, have mercy on me. I am sorry, help me do better. Come back into the communion, come back into our family. That's the point of it, that's the purpose of it. Uh, excommunication. Uh, it's not about the threshold. Again, a, a terrible sin. It's not about kicking somebody out, right? It's about uh, correcting people, uh, helping get the attention of people who are not sorry for their sins. Uh, Roman number three, the office of the keys is the basis for the holy ministry. Pastors like me. And uh, note these words of absolution again. The beginning of the service, Everyone confesses their sins. The pastor turns around to them and says, Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God to all of you. And listen, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the stead, in the place as if Jesus were standing right here speaking to you, and by his command, uh, John chapter 20, Matthew chapter 16, uh, hear these beautiful words that Jesus speaks to you. I forgive you all your sins. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. All right, next slide there, Roman number four. Uh, in light of the following scripture passages, what are the characteristics of the office of the holy ministry which Christ has established? So in this part of the Exploring the Faith class, I'll just take a little excursus. It fits real good here on the pastoral ministry. What should you expect from your pastor? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, I desire then that in every place men should pray, uh, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling and uh, on and on and on uh, about the prayer life of a pastor. 
any church leader, elders, deacons, uh, we, sh we are and should be men of prayer. Uh, in community, uh, com communication and communion uh, with God uh, about what we need to be doing, what we need to be saying to his people, to his church, not ours. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, another characteristic of a pastor. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, so, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. So I like stewards. Maybe if you're looking at the characteristic, uh, there's four blanks there on the handout. So prayer life, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, stewards of the mysteries of God. We talked, we've been talking about that, the, the sacraments, these wonderful gifts that God has given to us. His word and baptism and communion and absolution uh, that the pastor stewards or manages uh, these gifts from God for all of the people of God. All right, uh, the next slide. Acts chapter 20. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of this man's blood, for I did not uh, shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the, all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the next blank. Uh, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Uh, just think how important you are to God. Uh, Jesus shed his blood for you. And so as a pastor, it is so, so important. And I'm so reverent about my responsibility uh, to be an overseer. Uh, that word in the Greek is um, episkopos. It's where we get the word bishop from. Uh, so that's what that means really, to oversee, steward and oversee. And then uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 has a laundry list of expectations of pastors. I'm going to highlight just one. I think it kind of encompasses all of them. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's a bishop, pastor, uh, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And he goes, husband and wife, not a drunkard on it, but... But let's look at above reproach. What does that mean to be above reproach? Well, it means that uh, you're, you're Teflon Don uh, in a good way, though. Uh, it means that your reputation is so good that even if somebody falsely accused you of something, nobody would believe it. Or they, there's, you'd have uh, uh, character witnesses. You have uh, testimony. Uh, people testify that uh, it is not of your character. So uh, as a pastor, I set up uh, boundaries that are a little bit further uh, out than maybe other people, normal, um, other people have uh, boundaries to try to not fall into sin. I have to push those boundaries out a little bit further. Not only that I don't fall into sin, but that even uh, I'm never even able to be accused of falling into those uh, very bad sins. All right, let's look at the next slide and let's talk about confession all right uh, Martin Luther said when I urge you to go to confession I am simply urging you to be a Christian uh, it's really important uh, the Reformation did not take away confession uh, from our Christian disciplines our spiritual disciplines uh, he just re he reminded us that uh, the emphasis isn't on 
the law. Like it's this good deed that we have to do to earn God's grace. And it's not some, you have to go through the priest and the bishop and the pope up to God. Uh, he reoriented all of that to where it's just us and God with Jesus as our mediator. And that it's about being forgiven of our sins, hearing those beautiful words. Now, what is confession? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins, Psalm 32, 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. It is so painful. I, there's so many people in our society today who are hurting so bad because they are living in denial. They're saying, oh, there's no such thing as sin. I'm not a sinner. And deep in their bones, they know they are. And when they keep silent and they don't confess those sins, it just eats and eats away at them. That's why I think it is so wonderful uh, that we start every church service with confessing our sins and hearing those words that God forgives us. Uh, the second part of confession uh, is that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, not doubting but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. And Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Next slide. Uh, what sins should we confess? Well, before God, we should plead guilty of all sins, even those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. Which are these? Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, a worker? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything? Or done any harm. We reflect on our sinful condition because that reminds us of how much Jesus, uh, how much we need Jesus and how much Jesus has done for us to take away those sins. He paid for each one of those sins on the cross. Roman number two, consider David's sin recorded in 2 Samuel and the prophet Nathan's dealing with him. And uh, I'm going to summarize here Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter 11, David, King David in the Old Testament. Uh, she's a beautiful woman in the town. Uh, her name's Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah, who's actually one of the top generals in David's army. Uh, but he invites her to his home, sleeps with her. Uh, she becomes pregnant. <laughs> Uh, Uriah uh, comes home from war for R&R, &R, and uh, David tries to hide it, covered up, lies. Uh, but uh, Uriah is not uh, doing what David wants, and so finally, David's plan to get out of this uh, situation he's got himself into is to have Uriah killed in battle. He sends a secret note. Uh, advance kind of on this front line here in the battle and as soon as it starts getting uh, heavy fighting pull back and leave Uriah at the front of the line and sure enough he he's killed so Bathsheba becomes a widow and available um, so in the next chapter in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 
Nathan, who is the prophet of Israel in this day, he's like Pastor Nathan, uh, he comes to David and he tells him a story. And uh, I'll just pick it up. Uh, well, I'll try to summarize it. <laughs> uh, he says, David, there was this uh, rich man who had uh, many flocks, many flocks. And there was a poor man who had almost nothing to his name. And some visitors came to the rich man's house. And as was the hospitality, the customs of the day, uh, the rich man was going to prepare a feast for his visitors. But instead of taking one of his many from his flocks, he took the poor man's one and only lamb and killed it for the feast for his visitors. What do you think about this, David? <laughs> and David said, that's outrageous. That rich man should repay this man, you know, many fold, many times more than what he took. And uh, things should be taken away from the rich man. It's just, it's unjust. It, it is an injustice. And so uh, in uh, verse 7, Pastor Nathan says to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added you uh, to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight, have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites? Uh, and so through Nathan, God is pronouncing this judgment on uh, King David. And uh, in verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Until so the next slide, we uh, just some considerations here. What was David's sin? Well, it wasn't just one, right? It started with coveting, coveting his neighbor's wife. It led to adultery which led to lying to hide the adultery, which led to murder to hide the adultery and the lying. And as you look at the table of the law, the Ten Commandments, um, you can see how it, uh, the devil works on us. Uh, our sins can be very small at the beginning. Just coveting. Just coveting. I'm not touching. I'm just looking. Not breaking any sin. You know. Uh, and it just slowly creeps up to lying, to adultery, to murder. And it's like a snowball effect if you don't repent and, 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 and seek the will of the Lord to make it a delight in your life. Um, how did David attempt to hide, uh, sorry, to deal with his sins, to hide it? All right. Number three, how did Nathan uncover David's sin through the proclamation of the law? He told a parable. Instead of just walking into the king's court and just saying, you did a terrible thing. You're in trouble with God. Right? He really let David walk right into this one. He told this, this parable about uh, unjust action of a rich man or poor man. And boy, I got David riled up. He's like, that is, that's terrible. Uh, you know, when you look at it outside of yourself, a third person story, you can judge a little bit easier. When you think about your own life, Wow, we make a lot of excuses for ourselves, and we give ourselves a lot of credit for the good that we do, and again, overlook the bad that we do. 
So Nathan uh, got his attention there by making it a, a, an analogy, a, a parable. And then so David recognizes that, oh, that's me, huh? I did that. And so he says, I have sinned. That's how he confessed. And number five, what's the absolution? What's the forgiveness in this passage? Uh, your sin is put away. It's gone. God's taken it away from you. Um, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful gift. So the next slide, 1 John 7, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, verses 7 to 10. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Ooh, I would just, free advice for you, friend. Don't call God a liar. Right? Don't ever say we don't have sin, right? Confess our sins, boom, God forgives us and they're taken away. And so uh, there's different types of confession. One, you could say from our heart. So every night before I go to sleep, in my prayers, my bedtime prayers, I always include, Lord, please forgive me for all of my sins today. Uh, there's a corporate confession. The corporate is the body, the, the, the gathering of people. So on Sunday morning, we all gather together and we all confess generally right that we're all sinners and then we hear and receive that forgiveness again generally broadly god has forgiven you all your sins in the name of the father son and holy spirit but then there's another kind of confession that's called private confession and again depending on your your background what you know about this uh, this is a very wonderful gift again grace oriented uh, practice a spiritual discipline where uh, where the corporate confession is very broad and uh, uh, general, universal. Uh, in private confession, and it's happened a handful of times in my, my decade of ministry, uh, where a member of the church, an individual, will come to me with something particularly burdensome. It could be a divorce, it could be uh, adultery, it could be something uh, just really still lingering, the guilt still lingers, the pain still lingers, the fear uh, of, of judgment still lingers. And in a private, in a one-on-one -on -one setting, they can confess that particular sin, that specific sin that is so troublesome uh, to their conscience. And the pastor can surgically apply God's word and God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's peace, knowing that yes, Jesus forgives even that sin. So we talk about private confession, again, it's not law-oriented, um, it is very much gospel-oriented. It's all about assuring us of God's love for us. And so uh, just a little note here on this picture of a private confession going on there. 
the Lutheran Church did not abolish private confession and absolution, but rather freed this practice from its legalistic abuses, that it may be used to give the comfort of God's word. I, I pray you have the comfort of God's word. Again, as we uh, continue to learn more about who God is and who we are, how God relates to us, how he shares his love for us and delivers all of the good gifts he has directly to each and every one of us. All right, thanks for joining us for this lesson. Hope you finish up, just a, just a few more to go.